I want to, um, I want to say uh, this is a significant day. It's the, uh, it's the first official uh, national holiday that's being called Juneteenth. And uh, for those of us who are uh, late to understanding what that is, that was the day, on June the 19th, 1865, that General Gordon Granger read General Order Number 3 in Galveston, Texas. And what happened was that two and a half years earlier, the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed by President Lincoln, but it wasn't until two and a half years later that this proclamation was read in Galveston, Texas, freeing the remainders of those who remained in slavery in the state of Texas. And so it's a day of celebration, guys. And I, I am grateful, I am grateful that this is a national holiday. Um, it's a day to celebrate. You know, uh, I, I, want, I want to give us, I told my girls as I was driving in, I said, there's a likelihood that I may wander a little bit. And one of my daughters shook her head a little bit and said, oh, dear. You know, uh, uh, but here's, here's, here's the truth. Um, it, it is a day of celebration, and it's a day of lament. Let me just say that. I, I read that in an article this morning from the NPR, and I think that's a good title. It's a day to celebrate, but it's also a day of sacred lament by which we begin to, how do we ever move forward without beginning to recognize uh, the literal pain that has existed in front of us? And interestingly, the text that we're going to look at this morning reveals what happens in that kind of atmosphere when we begin to live in agreement or, or in, in a sort of a... Uh, compromise position and we're okay with injustice that injustice is not inactive is what I want to express injustice is very it's not passive it's active and it brings oppression and torment into the lives of men and women and you know Jesus at the very beginning of his life so here we go we just, let's just go okay Luke 4 when he begins his ministry in his hometown he pulls out a scroll and he opens it from the prophet Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor who are under oppression. Right? Is there anybody in the room? All right. And then, and to free the captive. Okay? So Jesus is proclaiming right at the outset of his ministry that the gospel is very much about bringing justice into the human heart and into the human life. As an evangelical, I grew up with this mindset where we somehow compartmentalize those expressions. And I want to say to us this morning, that is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus brings justice, period. End of sentence. Mind, body, and spirit. So here's where I'm getting at is that as Jesus begins to, to teach about uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins this very familiar uh, proclamation, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Many of us read in our translations, it says hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Right? And then a little bit later in that same uh, book, or I'm sorry, same sermon, 
two chapters later, chapter 7, verse 12. Seek first his kingdom. Oh, wait a minute. That's, is it 712? 714 is uh, the golden rule. Seek first his righteousness. And if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, right? Everybody familiar with that verse, right? You've probably heard it quoted many times. And we've heard it proclaimed, rightfully so. I want to, say, I want to proclaim something over us, some, some, something that I, don't, I try to steer clear of, but let's get into some actual uh, correct understanding of the language that Jesus used. The, the, the original, the first translation of the word that Jesus used is properly used in Luke 18 and in Luke 20. When Jesus' friends come and say, teach us to pray, he begins to talk about a woman who was seeking for justice. And she comes before a judge and says, give me justice. Same word. And in fact, arguably, the primary definition of that word. So let me come back to the Beatitudes. Here's the way I've begun to pray them in my own life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be filled. The gospel is about the proclamation of justice, beloved. And we of all people should have clarity about that. This isn't just about righteousness like I got my sins forgiven, I'm good. It's about God's justice coming and bringing captives out of prison, opening up blind eyes, reaching the poor. That's exactly what Jesus said. This isn't a new idea. Right? Right? I'm not proclaiming some sort of new uh, sort of proclamation. So I want us to hear this, that this is a day of celebration, but a sacred lament. And what we're crying out for is, oh God, that you would bring justice in my life and in the lives of those around me. In our text this morning that I don't now have time to read, but you will likely be familiar with it, of Luke 8. Jesus comes into the area that we call the Gerizim, or the Gadarenes, no matter on which gospel that you're reading about. He has just calmed the storm by proclaiming peace. Now remember, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Peace means wholeness, and all the broken pieces being put together and made whole. Nothing lacking, nothing wanting. There's a proper definition of peace. Jesus said, I am the prince of peace. When there's a storm, he says, peace, be still. When there's a storm, he's proclaiming in the gospel to our lives, peace, be still. Everything that Jesus is walking through with his disciples is literally an expression of what the gospel is intended to bring within our lives and be fleshed out in our lives. So the, the storm is calm. He comes to the other side of the sea and he lands where nobody wanted to go. Well, where some people lived, but a good Jewish man wouldn't. And it's there that he's confronted by a man that we know as the demoniac of Gerizim, the, the man of the tombs. And we're going to see in the text here in a little bit how Jesus responds to this man. But before we go there, here is what I want us to begin to to question in our minds. If we look at this text, you see, I grew up in a tradition where we said, ah, yes, this reveals that God has authority over every demonic spirit. 
And we really focused in on that idea. And unfortunately, I believe, missed a really important part of the story. What's that? Well, Jesus is landing, and he comes into a community. Now, now think about this. Into a community, a Jewish community that has a herd of pigs. What? Wait a minute, I think I have Old Testament verses that say that's unclean. You're not supposed to be hanging out with that stuff. It's kind of profitable. We don't eat them. We just make money from them. You might see where I'm going with this. And And then there's a man... In that community, so tormented. And think about this. Here is this man who is walking around in chains that can't hold him. He's, a, he's known as the man of the tombs. He's crying out in the cemetery. And it's like, it's like everybody's become familiar with that reality. So here are the two bigger questions. Not just that we have a man who's, quote, demonized, but that we have a community that's become comfortable with, with their own gain at the expense of compromise and even the very life of an individual that's around them. Oh, this is starting to sound familiar. Where, where the powerful have benefited off of the weak. Jesus lands where nobody, no good person would want to go and be known, but they all knew about it. And in the community, they're upset at this man's deliverance because it's exposing their compromise. You just, that whole big investment portfolio just went over the cliff. But what about the man? And in the the text, I, I just want to proclaim something to us. I want us to see the words in red in Luke 8, the very first three words in red that Jesus proclaims is, what is your name? That's the title that I've given the message this morning because, you see, Jesus lands in a place of compromise. He's landing where a man has been tormented, not even seen, horrifically oppressed, and he says three words, what is your name? Oh, well, that's four words, isn't it? Four words. What is your name? right past all of the compromise and the little arrangements that they've sort of been able to to have a blinded eye and looking past the other direction and overlooking the individual. Why? Because the gospel cares about this reality of the justice of God. I've come to set the captive free. The gospel, rightly understood, brings freedom, beloved, and breaks injustice. Amen. Um, 
And then it also does another thing, that it proclaims the truth about who we are. I, uh, I, I think I've shared this story before. I read it about a, uh, it, it happened in South Africa, at the Blyde River Canyons of South Africa, where nature conservation officers had taken a bald eagle that had been held captive in the Pretoria Zoo for 10 years to be released. And, I mean, they're excited about it, and they, they bring this eagle near a, a set of nesting eagles on the edge of this, this grand canyon of Blyde River. And, and there they, the day had come and they opened the door of this enclosure and pushed this, this eagle out. And after 10 years of being caged, they're excited about the fact that this eagle is going to be free. And to their frustration, after opening the cage, coaxing the bird out of the cage... It just sat there. Ten years of cage life had trapped the mind of that bird into an invisible enclosure. Free to fly! And it wouldn't fly. How are they going to get this eagle to realize it's free? They prompted it. They prodded it. Nothing seemed to help. Hours pass. And the bird suddenly looked up and in the distance heard the cry of another eagle. And immediately the zoo eagle took off in flight. No lessons required, just the truth of its identity realized in the cry of another eagle. Stunning! And yet the gospel, beloved... Jesus didn't come to just save us from our sin. He, be, he came to reveal the truth of who we are. He is the mirror of our identity, beloved. So Jesus comes to a man, and please hear this, as it relates to the gospel, Jesus didn't just come to, to, to the planet to upgrade this little cage called Judaism by starting another cage called Christianity. He became the incarnate voice of our likeness, the image of, the, of, the, of God in human form. He came to redeem and to reveal the image of God. His mission, his mission was to proclaim to men and women, informed and deformed and oppressed and enclosed by their sin and separation, that love can redeem, can restore, and make us whole. Not just a better version of ourselves, but actually who we truly are. Sons and daughters of God who were created to live in His love. Beloved, in the, in the text this morning, I'm, I'm fascinated by Jesus' words. He comes and He confronts a man who's been oppressed in a in, in, in a, uh, what do you call it, a, a community that has become familiar with it. They've become familiar with their compromise. They've become familiar with the arrangement. And Jesus asked the question that nobody's asking. What is your name? A man who, oh, wait a minute. He used to have a home. He used to have something that he did. He had relationships, family. He used to dress and act like everyone else. 
And it's been a long time. It's been a long time since he's been a man. And the truth is, that's how the village saw him. They didn't see a man. They saw this demoniac. What is your name? Jesus knows that the description uh, or that the, this isn't just about saying, okay, let's get this guy into, uh, you know, get a set of clothes, get him into a, a shelter, get him something to take care of him, get those shackles off of him. Jesus knows what he knows about us, that, that deeper within his story, the truth of the tombs is that these, there's been a deep separation in this man's life from God and from himself, that, that there's been a story that's been told over and over in his life that he's begun to believe about himself to the point that he says, I am legion. Now, that, by the way, means many. And can I just say this? That isn't who he is. It's who he became, who he'd become. And there's so much I could say about this, okay? I, 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 I want to identify this. Uh, I, I said this earlier often. I, I've identified with this that I've read this text as a Western evangelical and just seen it as like, okay, the demonized dude gets set free. But we fail to see the incredible reality that, that Jesus came to reveal true identity to a man and to a community. And it's disruptive, by the way, because God cares about his freedom and justice coming and setting wrong things right. The gospel that we proclaim, beloved, is, is this, that Jesus didn't come to the planet just to upgrade something of a religious system in our lives. He came to be the incarnate voice of God in human form and to reveal and redeem the image of God in us. His mission was to mirror the blueprint of our identity, not as an example of us, but of us. Let me challenge you to come back and read Colossians 2 and 3 and begin to really ponder. He is the image of the invisible God. By him all things are made. And then chapter 3, you've been given fullness in him. You're complete and whole. Here's a man who's believing, I'm not complete. I'm not whole. And I'm told that on a pretty regular basis. And Jesus says, what's your name? So I want to say a couple of things about this. Well, I still have a couple of minutes left, okay? One, um, I want to state the obvious. Jesus is not okay with injustice in whatever form that it's expressed. And, and if I could just take this text, yes, there is such a thing as demonization, Okay? And by the way, how does that happen? I don't have time to go into all of it this morning. But to dismiss this text, by the way, just as a spiritual warfare text, is to miss it. Because what I believe this text is about is Jesus coming and revealing true identity. 
to, to the point that John is able to say to his friends, how great is the love that the Father has loved us with that we should become and are called children of God and that is what you are so that when Jesus says, go ahead and be gone, this man is standing in his right mind and his right spirit. God cares about the reality that we know who we actually are. Do you know who you are? So let me say this right up front. Jesus is not okay with injustice and compromise and oppression. You see, injustice breeds the compromise, and it, and it brings oppression into the lives of men and women. And most all of us, I shouldn't say, let me just say all of us. Let me just put all of us in this category. We have all had moments in our journey that has caused us to question things in our life, meaning this, we've all had things that have come uh, into our life that have caused us to be fragmented from who we actually are. Let me just name a few things that cause us to be, to, to be disintegrated or fractured from ourselves. Grief, sorrow, losses, chronic busyness, exhaustion. And, and here, it, you know, it brings us into isolation. This internal demand to do more to silence our own internal need for approval, the anger over, over injustices in our life, old and new, fear of the present, fear of the future, and the never-ending need to do more, shame, disappointment, guilt. All of those things can cause us to this place that we're separated from who we actually are. Here's what I want to get at. All of those things cause us many times to question ourselves. Wait a minute. Who am I? What's my name again? And beloved, this is why the early church said there's an importance to the confession of our faith. Early and often. I'm a loved child of God that begins to inform my story in the present or we allow our story of brokenness and shatteredness to inform who we actually are. Jesus comes and says, what is your name? When we begin to identify our life by what has enclosed us, isolation and separation begin to define us. Jesus comes and says, what's your name? He already knows who we are. I called you by name and you are mine. Right? I'm giving scripture, right? See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus encounters this demoniac and, and he proclaims something that we need to proclaim regularly. You came to restore and to make whole all that was broken. Shalom. No wonder everywhere that Jesus comes, he's proclaiming peace. Peace. So let me just say this. He's not okay with injustice, and he comes to the place of injustice in our life. I think that's important to note. There is no injustice in our life that Jesus cannot reach. That's almost like a song we could sing, right? Jesus comes to the chains of our lives. He did for this man in the gospel, and he does for us to proclaim what? I've come to set the captive free. I've come to proclaim shalom. I've come to proclaim justice. To put back together what needs to be put back to, together and to be made whole. 
Jesus comes where nobody dared to go. He's not afraid of the narrative, beloved. You know, the narrative, here's that guy. He's not afraid of that. He's not repulsed by the man's naked appearance. He's not limited by the chains of the shackles. What's your name? I want to reveal the truth of your identity. Next thing, Jesus comes to reveal that freedom is why he came. Justice is why he came. Despite the presence of legion, beloved, I want to proclaim this often. Broken does not get the last word. Can I say that over us? This is part of, now I understand what folks are doing when they're going through something like Alcoholics Anonymous. And they proclaim, you know, I am an alcoholic. I think there's an important to to identify your need. But I want to say this clearly. That does not get the final word. Is there an amen in the room, right? Broken doesn't get the final. The true image of and within the man was never completely lost or destroyed. It was covered. It was, it was uh, forgotten. But it was never absent. Otherwise, how did he recognize Jesus? Last thing I want to say is this, and I've already kind of proclaimed it already once, but Jesus stands before us as a mirror, the truth teller of who we are, which means this, beloved, watch. For for us who have grown up in a tradition where we said, seek first him and his righteousness, and we were really, really concerned that I didn't smoke, drink, or go out with girls that did and cuss. Yeah, don't smoke, don't drink. Don't dance. I mean, you know, you, you, know, you guys get my point, right? Um, all of those little lists. Jesus came not to free us from sin and bad choices. He came to proclaim, you're actually an image bearer of me. There is such a stunning reality of who you are. When you go to Genesis 2 and you begin to meditate on this reality, let us make man in our own image, that God had created all, every living thing, and up to that point, the uncreated God, this beautiful God who exists in beautiful unity, had not been visibly seen. We're going to let our image be visible. Do you know who you are? That, that in the book of Revelation, we hear this proclamation, worthy is the lamb who was slain to purchase men for God because nothing else could. Do you know that you are worth to God? We don't even know our own worth. Jesus holds a mirror up that says, this is who you are. Here's what this means. We all, we live, let, 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 yeah, I should say we all we live, beloved, in, whether it's Gerizim or Gathering, whatever the synoptic text that you're reading from, that's where we live, in the land of compromise, where we are told, this is what you're worth. And Jesus has come to us and said, no, no, let me reveal who you actually are. And by the way, this is what it means, that you embrace and find life the way that I told you you find life. How do you find life? By laying down your life. 
by, by actually embracing the Jesus way, by believing in the fact that I care about justice, and as you do, that as you lay down your life, you find life. Beloved, that when he stands before us as a mirror, he's not just rebuking you, try harder, do better. He's saying, watch this, the kingdom is going to become visible in your life. How? When you begin to proclaim and reflect that justice in your life. And that you begin to allow me to reveal where you become familiar with the compromises and the distortions and begin to come back and realize this is who I am and this is who they are. Beloved, our true identity is as the beloved of God. That's the truth that commanded Legion to leave. Okay, there's, again, I, I said there's a lot to be said in this because sometimes we've gotten, I've been in some circles, we've gotten so focused on understanding the realm of the, of, of, of the demons and the spirit realm. And I just want to say, yeah, that's real, but the, the truth that commanded that legion to be gone was the truth of who he is. The truth that puts our life back together, that clothes this man in his right man, that re returned him, and that he's sitting at Jesus' feet, is that he was the beloved of God. I don't necessarily even have to understand the name of the disturbing spirit that's bringing injustice into the lives of other individuals or in my life, I want to I understand who I am in him. In the face of truth, an unclean spirit cannot remain. That's actually what spiritual truth is about. Where we can hear Jesus saying, what is your name? I belong to you. I'm your loved son. So, beloved, I, I want to say this. The reality is all of us have places of fragmentation and difficulty and separation. The reasons are many, many, many. But Jesus comes, and he still comes. And I wonder if he, we can hear him asking, what's, what's your name? Who are you? You're hearing other people tell you who you are. Who are you? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus said, you're a loved child of God. I've come to free you. I've come that you could walk and represent my justice upon the earth to mirror the reality of your design in me. Now return home and declare how much God has done for you. All right, beloved, I want to encourage us. We're going to do a couple of things in response this morning. One, I have a closing prayer I want to invite us towards. And then I want to bring us back to um, the fact that it's Juneteenth. So, um, first of all, would you just stand? Let's, let's read this closing prayer together. And then I want, to, I want to invite us into a closing song. Are you able to play that?
Okay, we're going to do that. And then um, I, I want to, let's, let's do this. We're going to read this closing prayer, and I'm going to lead us to communion. And then there is a song that was written in 1900 that has become kind of an anthem of Juneteenth. So I want to invite us to, to just begin to sing that song as we take communion. If you came prepared to give, uh, bring your offering, we're grateful for that. But I want to invite us to close in that manner, okay? Let's, let's read this prayer together. Most holy and eternal God, you dwell in the heights of heaven, yet you walk among those who refuse to see you. You hold out your hand to those unable to fully see you and invite us freedom from the chains that bind. that we may be healed by Christ and proclaim his saving deeds to all the world. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your life given for us as we come to this table. Lord, we proclaim the justice of heaven made real upon the earth in our day and in our time. I thank you, Lord, for this day today that we can proclaim freedom, but, Lord, also that we can join in a sacred lament that it's only you that can redeem and restore. Lord, not policies. Lord, we're grateful for those that have brought freedom. But, Lord, we, we say, would you grant freedom in our lives that we could actually love you and one another as you've invited us to. So, Lord, where love has been hindered, compromised, Lord, we want to come and say, reveal love again. That brings justice and life. God, we give that in faith. We trust you with it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to come as you feel led. And if you came prepared to give, feel free to leave your offering there. And then would you just go ahead and